Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves on future fuels and vehicles issues? Are you one of those people figuring out how to make it happen? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Geraldine Kutas from Unica, and we're going to talk about sugarcane ethanol and the future of it in Europe. Geraldine is the head of international affairs and the senior international advisor to the president for the Brazil Sugarcane Industry Association, Unica. Geraldine, it's great to have you with us today. Welcome. I've known you for uh, a number of years now, and I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm going to just go right into the question. So, as you know, the European Commission recently released its low emission mobility strategy. And it seemed to me, from my reading of the document, and you can disagree or clarify, that the Commission is sort of signaling uh, an intent to move away from biofuels except for, for advanced biofuels and more into electrification as both a climate and air pollution mitigation strategy for the future. So my first question to you is, what is Unica's reaction to the strategy and what do you think the impact could be for sugarcane ethanol in Europe going forward? by the low emission mobility strategy, as you can imagine. Uh, the strategy envisaged the phasing out of conventional biofuels, and we cannot be uh, in a different situation than to be disappointed by it. Uh, as we have already said it in different occasions, we consider that the Commission has a black and white approach of biofuels. According to the EU institutions, first generation biofuels are all so bad that they need to be phased out after being capped at 7% of the target in the IDA directive, or they are all so good, which is the case of advanced biofuels, that they need to be extra promoted. And for the Commission, there is nothing in between. And we think this is not true. They are good conventional biofuels, and sugarcane ethanol is clearly one of them. It reduces emission by more than 70%, it has no impact on food prices, and it is certified according to the criteria set by the EU. So it is, it is well documented that not all biofuels are created equal. The Commission must have the political courage to make a distinction between conventional biofuels. We understand that this is not easy as the majority of biofuels produced in Europe is biodiesel. But biodiesel does not perform as well as ethanol and the scientific evidences are clear. Ethanol and sugarcane ethanol in particular are a very good biofuel. So we are still optimistic about the future of sugarcane ethanol in Europe. Our main problem today is the import tariff, which is 90 cents of euro per liter. It's not the EU legislation. Personal transport is important, but there are several other applications for ethanol. You can use it in heavy transportation, uh, for instance, in Scania trucks. You can use it in the chemical and pharmaceutical industry. You can use it to produce bioplastics. So we still think that there is a future for, for sugarcane in, in, in Europe. But we will be very active in Brussels in the coming months to demonstrate that it will be a mistake to phase out conventional ethanol, as the EU will lose a powerful instrument to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions from transport. In addition, ethanol doesn't require any change in the fleet of inf or infrastructure, 
at the difference of other solutions, and this should be also taken into consideration. You said that the Commission takes a very kind of all-or-nothing, black-and-white approach. Why do you think that is? What do you think is, is behind that? I think it's a political issue, honestly. The policy was created in 2003 as a biofuel policy and not as a biodiesel or an ethanol policy, and it supported wool sector. So now it's difficult for the Commission to make a distinction between conventional biofuels. But they could have taken a different approach, like in the U.S., where you don't have these distinctions based on the, the production methods, but it's rather on uh, the GHG emissions. Because at the end of the day, why are we using biofuels? It's to decarbonize the transport sector. So what really matters is the greenhouse gas performance. It's not the method of production. I want to ask you a little bit more about electrification because, again, there does seem to be, and not just in Europe, by the way, I mean really globally, there does seem to be a huge push from uh, some advocates, NGOs, and, and governments, and even including the European Commission, into electrification as a climate air mitigation strategy. So, you know, the low emission mobility strategy is just is just the latest, you know, in, in terms of the position that the Commission seems to be taking on this issue. And some of these advocates are pushing this solution as the only one for transport. Aside from, you know, car bans and things of, of that nature, which some cities are, are beginning to do, even in Europe. So what is Unica's reaction to such efforts? And, you know, can ethanol, you know, survive, thrive, and, and even play a role in uh, sustainable transport in, in the years to come? So, in other words, we may have electrification, and it may really, really take off, but can other sources, such as sugarcane ethanol, play in that, a role in that as well? Well, let's be clear. I think electrification is here to stay. No doubt about this. But we think that the debate is not about do we need electrification or biofuels, but rather how can we combine electrification and biofuels. We don't think they are mutually excluded, uh, but rather they can complement each other. Studies show that the dominant technology in the coming years will be hybrid cars and not pure electric cars. The great majority of hybrids are running on gasoline instead of diesel. So ethanol will still be key to decarbonize the gasoline that would be used in hybrid vehicles. On top of that, electrification is not an option for all types of transportation. And this is the case for heavy transportation, for instance. Ethanol can play a significant role here. Scania produces trucks running on 95% of ethanol and 5% of an additive. So this is a good opportunity also for sugarcane ethanol. In any case, using ethanol in heavy transportation is much better than using natural gas from an emission standpoint, because ethanol is still renewable. We fully understand that the Commission needs to look at what will be the needs in 2030 or 2040. But we cannot forget the cars that are currently in the street, as well as the ones that are produced today or tomorrow, as the new legislation won't be approved before a year or a year and a half, and it will take time to implement it. These cars will stay for 15 years in, in the road. So we need a solution to decarbonize the transport sector with the current vehicles for the next 20 years. After all the scandals that affect diesel 
uh, the diesel trend is finally reversing in Europe. Consumers buy more gasoline cars, and some member states are increasing the taxation on diesel to end its special status. So the gasoline market will not shrink as much as what was envisaged uh, five years ago. Ethanol is a much better option than, than biodiesel, and this is an opportunity that the EU should not miss. Well, so that's something I also wanted to ask you about is, do you see a reversal of the dieselization trend that has really been a focus of the, of the market for the last 10, 15 years or so? Do you see it reversing? And especially with Dieselgate and, you know, what you're saying with respect to seeing more and more hybrids uh, on the road. So do you see a reversal? And does that mean potentially, you know, more market growth uh, for ethanol in general and for sugarcane ethanol in particular? I think that is a reversal of the trend. It takes time because the renewal of the fleet is, is low and slow. And the policies in member states are different. Uh, some member states already uh, moved towards a more equal taxation between gasoline and diesel, and some have not. But I think it's, it's a clear trend. And I also think that the consumer is much more aware of the, the emission problem, air pollution problem, and um, many, many people now are buying gasoline cars. So I think we are seeing uh, a reversal of, of the trend. Uh, but as I said, it, it, it will take time. Uh, but it will happen. So this is a great opportunity for ethanol, and sugarcane ethanol is the best performing conventional biofuels. So if we really want to decarbonize transport, we should favor sugarcane ethanol. Do you think there's some potential for that to um, to happen as policy, you know, con discussions continue to evolve, as policy continues to evolve? Do you do you see a potential for that? Now the legislation has a long way to go here in Brussels. First we will have the proposal of the Commission and then this proposal will be discussed in Parliament and by Member States. So I think we have one year and a half to convince people that ethanol can make a huge contribution to the decarbonization of transport. I want to turn to some trade issues. So there have been some trade negotiations going on for some time between the EU and Mercosur. And I wanted to ask you where sugarcane ethanol, where the negotiation stands uh, currently, especially as it respects sugarcane ethanol. Well, as I said earlier, the import tariff is our main problem in Europe uh, because the tariff is privacy. So we see in the EU-Mercosur trade negotiations a good opportunity to gain access to the EU market. The Commission, unfortunately, didn't present any offer on ethanol in May, but it made clear that there will be an offer in the future. The first round of negotiation will take place from October 10 to 14 here in Brussels, and we are very anxious to see what the EU has to offer to sugarcane ethanol. Because this is the best performing conventional biofuels, and we are also producers of second generation ethanol. Obviously, we cannot forget that. So, as such, our products can make a real difference in the reduction of European emissions. And if Europeans are serious about climate change, they will make a significant offer for sugarcane ethanol. One thing that's really been interesting to me on the trade side, back, back 10 years ago, Unica was really 
everywhere. And I used to have this joke. We have a um, a Visa commercial, and the tagline for the for the credit card company is "Everywhere you want to be." And I used to joke that that was Unica. Unica's everywhere you want to be, because uh, there was a lot of activity and a lot of effort to open new markets. And Unica was, and I know still is, but really was all over the world. And now I'm seeing the same from U.S. producers. I mean, India, China, all over uh, uh, Southeast Asia, um, even in, in Latin America, you know, in the effort to try and open up new markets, just as Unica started many years ago. So my question to you is, how does Unica see the global market for for ethanol evolving in general, but also for for sugarcane ethanol, not just in Europe, but but globally. Until last year, the ethanol market was developing pretty well at the world level, especially in Asia and to some extent in the Americas. It seemed that 2016 won't be as good as previous years, but at least there won't be any drop in world production or, or consumption. The problem is that the fuel ethanol policies are clearly domestic, inward-looking policies. Countries don't develop ethanol policies uh, with a view of trade. They are looking at their own resources, and they tailor their policies based on, on these resources. And for that reason, there is no commoditization of ethanol, which is, in my opinion, a real pity. As far as sugarcane ethanol is concerned, you know, there are more than 100 countries producing sugarcane in the world. It would be great if these countries could develop ethanol programs. This would reduce their oil import bill, it would create jobs, it would bring electrification in rural areas, and it would generate a, more, a small surplus for, for exports. But it's been slow going, no? Yes, it's slow going. The point is, those 100 countries are mainly located in tropical areas, and the majority of them are developing countries. So they probably lack the technology, the financing also, to develop this, this industry. And I would really call on developed countries to help them, really, to, to develop those, those countries. Brazil is helping developing countries in developing their sugarcane uh, ethanol industry. But we are not, we are Greek, but we are not a developed country. <laughs> so um, I would really call on, on, on more developed countries to, to help those tropical economies to, to develop the sugarcane ethanol um, industry. I guess the, the last question I, I have for you is, how are things going in Brazil these days, um, especially with the, with the sugarcane ethanol um, industry? I mean, there's been quite a bit of, let's say, dynamic change over the last few years. How is the health of the industry there in Brazil? moment in the last four years. The industry is recovering. We are still very dependent on public policy, not so much in terms of subsidies and stuff like this because we don't have any of, of those, but we depend on the government uh, to reduce the subsidies to fuel, uh, to fossil fuels, in fact. And this is always a, a challenge, especially in the current political situation today. There is the, the impeachment process against uh, President Duma. But the uh, current harvest is a very good harvest. Uh, this is more a sugar harvest because uh, sugar prices are uh, very high. But uh, sugar and ethanol consumption uh, keep increasing, which is very good. And at the end of the day, the ethanol market is a domestic market for us. You know that 90% of our production is consumed at home. So we are extremely careful that this market is 
continuing its development. We'll end it there. Uh, that's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Geraldine for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And please do us a favor before you go today. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking in iTunes and keeping this show visible so that other people can discover it. Thank you ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on low-carbon fuels and vehicles issues, sign up for my free weekly newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks so much.